Thank you. Let's take God's word together and turn to the New Testament book of Ephesians once again. Ephesians chapter 6. God willing tonight, I, I'd like to hear from our campers and the workers. We've had two great weeks of summer camp, some very challenging weeks, but good weeks. So I want our young people and the workers to prepare just to share a word, brief word of testimony about the weeks we've had together. And uh, always a privilege to serve the Lord in the capacity of a summer camp. There are a lot of things coming up in the life of the church that I failed to mention. I'm looking really at six weddings over the next few weeks, few months, pardon me. And so uh, a lot to be praying for and a lot to be excited about. I'm praying that God would bless our church family as we continue to move forward together. Ephesians chapter 6, as you have already uh, seen and heard, we come now to the helmet of salvation. And this is uh, really one of my favorite studies in this armor of God. And I remind you that the instruction of putting on the armor is more than a suggestion, it is a command. And if we fail to take the whole armor of God, then we fail to stand. You'll never be able to stand against Satan in the onslaught of this world unless we take the whole armor of God. Last week we looked at the shield of faith, and if you remember, the wording is a little bit different, whereas previously we were told in the first three pieces of armor that we would have it on. But the shield of faith, we were instructed to take it because it requires, it requires us to pick it up and to hold on to it. And it similarly, we're told to take the helmet of salvation. And there's not much given in this little phrase that we find in verse number 17. It is really short. And take the helmet of salvation. That's it. Take the helmet of salvation. And we'll look at it in those three parts. Take the helmet of salvation. And this morning, again, a very specific command requires a very intentional obedience. Do you know why this world is swimming in confusion? Because the number one battlefield of humanity is the mind. And if you never intentionally put on a helmet, then you are rendered vulnerable to the attacks of Satan. If you think that just because you're saved, that you were born again with a helmet on your head, you're wrong. Or else Paul would not have given this command to the church. You are not immediately clothed with a helmet because you're born again. You are immediately given a helmet. But whether you put it on or not is up to you. Take. The Greek word dekomai, literally to take with your hand, pick it up. Literally. I remind you again that this is a command to the believer. And we are commanded to pick up the helmet and put it on. Which tells me that if you do not pick up the helmet and put it on, you are vulnerable. And I believe this morning there are many in this tent and many perhaps watching on the live stream that are living their lives very recklessly. 
without the helmet. The natural carnal man is completely exposed to the attacks of Satan. The unbeliever has no defense against the attack of Satan. And if you and I as a Christian are not intentional about picking up our helmet, then we are just as vulnerable as the unconverted. Now, I want you to think with me about a couple of things as we consider this, this helmet. What is a helmet used for? Well, our children have instructed us already. The helmet is used for protection. Protection of your head. And a helmet encircles the head completely, signifying complete and total protection. I was thinking about it this morning. Helmets are used for so many different things today. If you ride a motorbike, you usually put on a helmet. Many people wear a helmet when they ride a bicycle. Many people working on the construction site wear a helmet. Riot police wear helmets. Those who are horse riders, jockeys wear helmets. If you're mining beneath the earth's surface, you wear a helmet. If you're a rock climber, you typically wear a helmet. If you're whitewater rafting, you wear a helmet, not to mention the list of sports. American football, hockey, baseball, cricket, the list goes on and on. Now that tells me something very interesting. All of these activities have one thing in common. They're dangerous. Or else you wouldn't have to wear a helmet. The risk is high of a head injury. As many of you know, I grew up playing American football and anytime a helmet came off in a game, the game stopped. Whether it came off accidentally, whether somebody took it off because they were angry, which is a silly thing to do. If you're angry and you want to fight, you better keep your helmet on. But if the helmet came off, the game stopped because everybody knows that there's a danger if your head is exposed. And we have been told by Almighty God that we must pick up and put on a helmet. Not just any helmet, but the helmet of salvation. Would you look this way? Have you got it on today? This is not a game. You've heard me say many times. This is not some daredevil stunt or some extracurricular activity. This is war. And it is dangerous. The helmet is a matter of life or death. If you lose your head, all other armor is useless. If you leave your head exposed and thus you lose your head, as Kean, one of the Smith boys, so adequately explained, then the enemy will take off your head. Satan is aiming for your head. We understand that it, in any sort of battle, uh, the enemy aims for the head of the heart. But an interesting observation that if the head isn't working properly, then the heart really can't do much else. If the head is not working properly, then your arms and your hands and your legs, nothing else works properly. If the brain be dead, then what else can the body do? What difference does it make if I have my loins girt about with truth and integrity 
and I lose my head. What good is it if I rest behind the breastplate of the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus and lose my head? What good am I to the kingdom of God with my gospel shoes on if I lay dead in the streets because I've lost my head? When the head is gone, when the brain is dead, nothing else can help you. The head is synonymous with the mind. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about your mind. Talking about the control center of your life. We see from time to time, I see a lot, especially with, as a minister and visiting people in the hospital, I see from time to time people who for a period of time are left incapacitated because their brain has been jolted. They have been either uh, medically induced into a coma or their body has put them into a coma. And when the mind is put in that state, the body can do nothing. We've seen even some of our own dear brothers and sisters when the brain is not quite fully working or there's an attack on one part of the brain that it renders part of the body useless. We see it. We're talking about the control center of your life. And the enemy knows that if he can get inside the control center, that if he can get inside and take over the controls, then he can take over your whole body. He controls you. Have you been there before? Have you been there before when you let a thought come into your mind and utterly consume your thinking, take over all of your thoughts, and before you were cool, calm, and collect, and very composed, but all of a sudden, a thought has got in and taken the controls, the steering wheel, taken controls over the accelerator and the brake, and all of a sudden, you are a different person because a different thought or somebody else is behind the steering wheel. I wonder if you know what I'm talking about. Who's the operator in your control center today? Who is it that controls what's going on in you? I love the verse. It's a verse I've quoted many times and for my own benefit. 2 Timothy chapter 1 Verse 7, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but rather listen to what God has given us. Instead, he's given us power, not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God has given us the ability to have a sound mind. It literally means a mind that is under control. A mind that is self-controlled. And there's a sense that God gives his children a measure of control in our own minds. But we can, and we often do, yield that control to someone else. And that's when we begin to lose the battle. The battlefield of your life is in your mind. And that's where the battle will be won or lost. Let's have a little survey. Would you look this way? 
How many of us have recently lost a battle in the mind? Maybe it's a big battle, maybe a little battle. Yes, that's most of us. Doubt, discouragement, depression, suspicion, jealousy, bitterness, covetousness, lust. It goes on and on. All of those things take place where? In your mind. John Bunyan wrote the famous Pilgrim's Progress, but he also wrote another book after that called The Holy War. Many people believe that if he wrote that book before Pilgrim's Progress, it would be even more popular than Pilgrim's Progress. But the subtitle for The Holy War is this, The Battle for Man's Soul. And when you begin to read Bunyan's Holy War, he speaks about how the mind is like the castle of a man, of a human. And that castle has many different gates through which an enemy can come in. Many different gates through which friends can come in. And he begins to warn the body of Christ through this allegory by talking about the mouth gate, the ear gate, the eye gate, Nose gates, so many. Imagine with me how much we let in through those gates. And where, what, where are we letting things in? We're letting things into the mind. Letting things into the mind. When we watch certain things or look at certain things, when we hear and listen to certain things, even when we smell certain things. It's amazing how much smell can have a bit of control over you. I smell some good cooking. Boy, it takes control a little bit, doesn't it? Or maybe a nice touch of perfume or cologne. How, how much even that takes a little bit. It's interesting how these gates let in or let out different enemies or friends. I wonder if you're guarding your gates. The helmet of salvation is about guarding your gates. The helmet of salvation is about protecting the castle of your life. You are only given one, just one line of defense for your mind. Did you catch that? You are only given one line of defense for your mind. And if the enemy gets past this defense, you're in trouble. But the good thing is the enemy cannot get past the helmet of salvation. The enemy cannot get past the helmet of salvation. When it is taken up and put on, there is nothing and no one that can get through. God himself has given us this helmet. And our failures and defeats in the mind are not due to a faulty helmet, but rather due to a neglect of the helmet. It's not because we got a hole in the helmet. It's not because like the helmet I had up here a moment ago, we've got some big open gaps and the enemy can get right in. No, no, no. If the enemy gets in and we fail here, it's because we didn't use the helmet. It's because for a season we took it off. Maybe we got a little bit too hot beneath the helmet. Maybe the helmet got a little bit too uncomfortable and we wanted to take a little break. 
What a dangerous thing. I want you to think for the rest of our time about this helmet of salvation, the kind of a helmet that this is. The word helmet is found eight times in the Bible, only two times in the New Testament. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, if you would please. In 1 Thessalonians 5, we find the one other time the word helmet is used in the New Testament. The first time it's found there in Ephesians 6. The only other time in the New Testament you find the word helmet is 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 8, and it gives us more insight. Look at it. In fact, let's read the context. Let's begin in verse number 1. Have you found it? 1 Thessalonians 5. I'm talking to you like I talked to the campers. Sorry. I won't ask you to stand up when you found it or to wave your Bible at me when you found it, but I hope you found it. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse number 1. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, talking to the believer, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation now let me just make this comment the context in which this verse is found is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ the end of all things and the only other time in the New Testament that we read about the helmet and the need of putting it on is as we consider the approaching of Jesus Christ's return Hebrew says look we can't forsake the assembling of ourselves together and so much the more as you see the day approaching. There is, there is something, there are many things in the Christian life that require more attention as we get closer to the return of Christ. This is one of them. This is one of them. Because in these latter days, in these last days, the Bible says deception will rise. And if your mind is not protected, you will fall prey to deception. If you do not care for your mind, you'll fall prey to the coldness of heart that the scriptures warn about. The love of many will grow cold. If you do not protect your mind, you will be absolutely infiltrated by the enemy and you will acclimate and adapt to all that this wicked world is promoting. And can I tell you, the majority of professing Christianity is very, very little different from the world today. The mind is not being protected. But Paul tells us that we're to take the helmet, which is the hope of salvation. Now, all that he tells us in Ephesians is take the helmet of salvation. So we don't really know until without this verse, we don't really know what that quite means. We have some ideas, but this gives us more insight. Faith is the protection of the heart. Hope is the protection of the mind. Ephesians 5, 8, 
put on the breastplate of faith and love, which protects the heart and put on the helmet. Look what it says for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Faith protects the heart. Hope protects the mind. Hebrews 11 tells us a little bit more about it. Verse number one. Now faith, watch this, is the substance of things hoped for. There's a difference between faith and hope. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is that underlying basic reality on which our hope is built. So if you've got valid faith, you've got valid hope. But if your faith isn't valid, your hope's not valid. Let me give you another example. I've used this before. Let's imagine my children in their little minds. They imagine that daddy is going to buy them something. That's what they're believing. But if that belief is not based upon my word, what I've told them or what I have intimated to them, if it's simply based out of their imagination, then their hope is not really sound. They could get, they oftentimes, I know it's hard to imagine, they oftentimes get some big ideas in their little minds about what they're going to get and what they're going to do and we need to do that and, and, we, and we need to do this and, and daddy, can I have this car and and can I have that? And they get all sorts of things. But if that is that hope is based upon a, a, an unrealistic foundation of faith, then it's not going to come to fruition. And so our hope, the thing that protects our mind, is based upon a rock-solid faith, if you remember, that is connected to the Word of God. You cannot separate them. Hope is simply a quiet, steady expectation of God and of good. That's based upon his promises. One commentator said, really, in a sense, it's a kind of spiritual optimism. Not optimism for the world, but optimism for God. Optimism for the child of God. It's a sense of being filled with a good expectation. You say, where do we get that from? Well, we find it all through scripture, but one of my favorite verses, Romans 8, verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good. Did you catch that? We know. You know what that is? That's hope. That's a steady expectation. That although this looks bad, feels bad, and it hurts, and it's hard, I know that it's going to work together for good. Steady expectation. I wonder, do you have that? A sense of optimism based upon the character of God and the word of God. Knowing that it is God's desire to give us of the kingdom. Believing that it is God's desire that I hath not seen nor ear heard and neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him and wait on him. I believe that and therefore I'm filled with hope that the best is yet to come. For the child of God. That's what this is. The helmet of salvation is this hope. And if you don't put that on. You will be feel, filled. With all sorts of negativity. I'm not talking about being realistic. About the world in which we live. I understand things are. You hear me say it all the time. The world is getting darker. But the child of God should be getting brighter. I'm not talking about having our head in the cloud. And. And not being aware of what's happening around us. But I'm talking about having a steady hope inside. That although the whole world fall apart. 
By the grace of God, I know I'm kept by his hand and I will only be brought from strength to strength. Because he that hath begun a good work in me will perform it. You lay hold on these promises that give you a hope. You lay hold on these promises that give you an expectation. But I wonder, do you believe it? Look at Romans 8 verse 24. We, we see in, very clearly we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? Literally that word is to anticipate, to expect, to have confidence with pleasure. With pleasure. If I were to say to my children, uh, tomorrow we're going to have a family day, we're going to go get ice cream and visit a splash pad, go to a swimming pool, then they would have reason, reason to believe. If my father said it, then he must mean it. He's not being cruel to me. He's not going to tell me something. He's not going to promise me something and then not do it. How cruel would that be? But because I said it, then they have a have an expectation and an anticipation. They're looking forward to it and they're expecting it and they have confidence because they've learned that my word they can trust. And they wait with great pleasure, don't they? They wait with great excitement. Ooh, I can't wait. Sometimes we can hear them talking. Ooh, I can't wait till we go on holiday or I can't wait until we do. That's that hope, that pleasant expectation. That's the helmet of salvation. That's what this is. Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, we, we, were, we were looking in a, mo a moment ago at the book of Ephesians. But Ephesians 2 talk about the difference between a believer and an uncon unconverted, an unbeliever. In Ephesians 2 verse 12 it says this. Listen to this. That at that time you were without Christ, being alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Did you get that? The unbeliever has no Christ, has no hope, has no God. The unconverted has no Christ, has no hope, has no God. But the child of the living God has all three and more. If you've been born again, Jesus Christ lives in me. Christ in me, the what? The hope of glory. The expectation of glory. The anticipation of heaven. If that's not something to get you excited, then your little exciter's broken. What anticipation? What joy? But the unbeliever has none of that. No Christ, no hope, no God. Colossians chapter 1, I just quoted it, but I'll read it for you. Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 27. Paul writes to the church at Colossae and says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, the hope we have, this helmet of salvation is not based upon fancy, fanciful wishing. It's based upon the security of his word. And as sure as his word is, as sure as God is, his word is. Hebrews, one last passage and we'll close. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 17. The author of Hebrews says this, For he testifieth that thou art a priest. Pardon me, that's chapter 7. Chapter 6, verse 17. Wherein God willing... I love this. Watch this carefully. Wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of the promise, that's us, 
the immutability of his counsel, meaning he cannot change, his word cannot change, he confirmed it by an oath. That by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation. I've circled those three words in my Bible. A strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. If you lose that hope, if you don't put on the helmet of the hope of salvation, then you've lost your anchor. You're drifting through life. Every time a wave comes and crashes against your, your boat, your life, you're blown this way and that way, up and down on the waves. But if you have that helmet of the hope of salvation securely fastened, we are anchored. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth in to that within the veil, whither the forerunner for us entered even Jesus. Put on your helmet. What practically, what's that look like? What's it look like practically? I'll tell you what it looks like. Here you go. Look here. Open the word. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of God. And if faith be the foundation of our hope, then you've got to have faith so that you have something to hope in. And if you're neglecting the word, then your faith is weak and therefore your hope is weak and, and, and you are left vulnerable. Pick up the word. Be grounded in the word. Read it. Study it. Memorize it. One of the young boys I was speaking to, one of the fathers last night on the phone, and he said to me that his son came home from camp and he said, I know more of the word now than I've ever known. I thought, that's interesting. I, I thought maybe that was maybe a bit of a prideful statement, but it wasn't that at all. What he was saying was he memorized so much scripture this week. He wasn't talking like he went in and learned all the word. What he meant was that he memorized more scripture than he's ever memorized before. And that word is now in his mind and in his heart. Isn't that amazing? So putting on the helmet is taking up the word. Taking up the helmet is taking up the word and having your faith increase and therefore your hope being solid upon the promises of his word. It's knowing I have been born again because his word tells me there is a modern movement in the last 120 years or so that is built upon experience. Now praise God for experience. I thank God for every Christian experience. But our foundation, our hope is not built on experience, it's built upon faith in his word. And if he told me that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, then I'm not waiting for a flash of lightning in the sky. I'm not waiting for a fuzzy feeling all inside. I'm not waiting to be struck with lightning or a tree struck with lightning nearby like what happened with Martin Luther. I'm not waiting for a big flash of light on the road to Damascus like the Apostle Paul. I believe because he said it. That has got to be the foundation of your faith, which thus becomes the foundation of your hope. I believe I belong to him. I have been saved. I am being saved. I shall be saved. I have been saved. Praise God from the penalty of sin because Christ Jesus died for me. I am being saved from the power of sin. Although many times I feel like I'm completely powerless. 
And I shall ultimately one day be freed, saved from the very presence of sin. That'll be a glad day. That's my hope and expectation. Put on the helmet. Put on the helmet. There's so much that the scriptures say about the mind. And time does not allow us to go on. But this is the rescuing of your mind. This is the saving of the mind. This helmet of salvation. As all of you check your little key fob there. Hit the unlock button. We'll take care of that alarm. Let's pray together. Then we'll sing our final hymn. Father. We thank thee that we have been given protection. God, in grace and mercy, you have given unto us this helmet, this hope of salvation, which is securely built upon the foundation of faith in thy word. Help us, Lord, to be the most hopeful people on the planet. Help us to be filled with hope and expectation, anticipation. May we be filled with joy as we look forward to those things which are to come. And as things unfold around us in our day, in our society, all around the world, may we be filled with anticipation because thy word has already told us of these things. I pray for those this morning who have no hope of salvation, no hope of eternity, that is because they have no faith in thy word. Oh, please, Lord, speak to their heart even now. Show them that the word can be trusted. Show them, Father, that if it is written, then it is true. May they begin this day to see their faith increased and their hope increased at the same time. Help us, we pray, for we ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.